All right. Welcome in, listeners, um, to another episode of the Corporate Global Fantasy Premier League podcast. This is your uh, final podcast before the beginning of the 2022 World Cup. Um, And we're here to talk about the Premier League. And by we, I mean me, Taylor. And me, Evan. I like how we've kind of established, or at least I have established, (laughs) this one very particular, like... um, uh like intonation for how i how i say my name in this in this context yeah you do say it like that pretty much every time taylor anyway (laughs) um yeah evan how are you doing i'm doing well taylor uh how are you it it feels it feels weird right now with it being like coming up on the end of the first half of the season going into the world cup this episode in particular feels like the last day of school Yes. And it, that's we're going to watch a movie. It is <laughs> yeah, it is exactly that mentality. So this might be very loose and sloppy, but that's exactly what I want right now. Yeah. Cuz I don't I don't care about homework anymore. <laughs> Listener, I have my feet kicked up on my desk. I Evan is drinking a hazy IPA, so we're uh that's kind of the the um setting that we're we're dealing with right now. Um, so what we're planning to do is, as Evan, uh, intimated there, we are just going to have a chat about the things that we've seen going on, our kind of general observations of the Premier League. Um, we're not necessarily going to try to tie them back to FPL, although FPL may come into the conversation a little bit, but more so we're interested in just kind of, uh, comparing notes on what, uh, we've noticed about the Premier League what's kind of interesting about the Premier League this year um, and kind of assessing things as we see them going into what will be kind of, um, I guess, a month long, even a little bit more than a month long break um, from the Premier League. So that's where we're headed. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this is um, in the scope of like fantasy and how this can be beneficial. Um, this is something that we normally don't get to do. Um, normally, we don't get normally we don't get to assess these like big macro trends or strategies until after the season. Yeah, um, and by then it's too late to make any changes. And so I thought it would be nice. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation because it'll help kind of maybe recalibrate some things and and maybe get some better ideas of maybe where this season is headed. So that way over the course of the break, um, these, these ideas can be stewing and then we can make better decisions going into the, to the, um, into the world cup break where we're all going to have unlimited transfers. So yeah, I just thought this would be a unique opportunity to do something like this. And um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it. Totally. Um, So yeah, so we'll, we'll just kind of throw out observations here and and talk about them we've got kind of a list of things that we want to talk about but we'll we'll keep it pretty organic um evan do you want to do you want to start us off with kind of the first thing that struck you about uh watching the premier league this year or even about specific teams if you want it to be about that yeah totally do we want to start with our our thread and just go down the list of of our items sure let's do it um yeah so i mean when I started, when Taylor and I decided to 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 take this approach for this episode, um, one of the big things I've been thinking about lately is 
um, kind of the the script, if you will, of like Premier League seasons. And for for several years, for like the last like three or four years, it's been Man City and Liverpool at the top, dueling it out. And then everyone else is just like fighting for Champions League. And then mid-table is always mid-table. And um, and then the like there's obviously like two or three very bad teams. Um, and I think that's kind of been the status quo for the last few seasons. And I think this season is kind of um, maybe not completely flipped it on its head because there's still some like Man City is obviously still incredibly good. So like that hasn't changed necessarily, but there's some very unique things for this season um, that I think um, are going to provide a lot of variability in maybe uh, positions in the table, um, how teams are playing, maybe even what styles they're playing. And just the predictability of it all, I think, is kind of out the window for the most part. Totally. So what do you Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think the other big thing is the World Cup, right? Like, how is the World Cup going to affect teams? It's really difficult to say, because if you're Man City and basically every one of your players, except for Erling Holland, is going to be playing, you know, for yeah. possibly, you know, games and games and games, versus if you're maybe, you know, Nottingham Forest and you maybe only have a couple of players who are going to be in that position. Like, th- is that a is that a leveling agent between those types of teams? Or, I don't know, it could, it's it's difficult to say. You could make an argument for a lot of different ways that would affect the league um but yeah in general i think just the the standard of team is very high this year and it feels like and i think we probably say this every year but it really feels true this year that any week any team could beat any other team with a couple of small exceptions maybe man city when they've got all of their their gears going um but like yeah it's just making it really hard to predict who's going to be where in the table because um you don't have, as you say, like your Burnleys, your um, your Norwich cities, your like those teams that are kind of destined from day one to go down. And you have teams like Brighton and teams like Newcastle who are really kind of shaking up the, the kind of ingrained hierarchies of teams. Um, and then you have teams at the top who are doing poorly, like your Liverpools and things like that. So there's just a, a ton of admixture of the different like as you say, like we've got upper level, we've got mid table and we've got lower level, which are the normal, normally the way things are stratified. And this year it's just kind of a big, a big mix. It seems like. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and I think some of the kind of some of the trends will always be part of the premier league. Like I think some things over the course of the season will shake out, right. Whether that's Liverpool uh, getting things together and kind of moving up the table and getting a Europa League spot and kind of just being back in the mix. Like there's going to be, you know, relegation teams. We're going to start to see like, you know, after Christmas, after the World Cup, we'll uh, eventually we'll start to see like kind of who gonna, who's going to be favored to go down, that kind of stuff. Like we're still going to kind of get some of that, but I think it's so hard to predict right now. Um how that's going to shake out necessarily. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this season um, and, and watching it. And then as you mentioned, yeah, the world cup, like 
after that, there's going to be injuries, first of all. So there's going to be players missing from like big clubs. That's going to affect how they play. There's going to be just rotation in general because they're not going to come straight back in. Um, some of those players that have that make it deep into the tournament. So, um, yeah, there's just it's it's one of the um, it's one of the more irregular seasons, and I'm thankful for it because I've been kind of tired of the kind of the normalcy and just kind of the routine nature of things. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a fun one. Um, so definitely things are being shaken up. Yeah, this year. And while we're on that topic while we're kind of or while we're talking about like really kind of large scale trends um something that i've been uh, i've been thinking about a lot and i've been really grateful for as i've been watching is how fortunate we are to be watching the premier league at a time when the tactics trend is towards like interesting games you know like it's towards high intensity lots of turnovers lots of goals um and generally like i would say aesthetically pleasing play um and i I just think it's very interesting that there aren't that many teams in the premier league that i don't want to watch for some reason or another um even teams who are lower down in the table are still interesting to me teams who would not normally be interesting to me to watch like your fulhams for instance are still teams that i look forward to getting to see on the weekend. Um, and so, yeah, just like the general t- trend is towards more interesting soccer, I think. And that means that like more teams are kind of in my remit of teams that I'm interested to watch on a given weekend. Yeah, definitely. And you've seen that play out over the last like two seasons with like leads coming up. Um, you kind of feel like they, in in some way kind of spearheaded that, or at least were the kind of, I don't know, the, kind of the the ones that really did it you know yeah um yeah i mean and the prime example is like fulham and bournemouth i think are the two and you, i think you mentioned fulham but bournemouth yeah. as well just thinking back to when they were both in the league last just dire just like yeah. not fun to watch um and so it's been nice to know that you know those teams coming up from the championship are are playing a very attacking style football uh very fun very energetic pressing um and yeah just just incredible just fun to watch and, and that is part of what makes it hard to from the relegation side to know who's who's going to go up and down because no longer do you have just the three that come up go straight back down because I think you alluded to it earlier as well. Like not only just are they more attacking, more aggressive, they're also better. Yeah. They're higher quality. And so this season in general has higher quality teams. I think, I think it's slowly progressed to where the mid and lower league table teams are better. Um, So you won't necessarily maybe see a ton of like Lester's and West Ham's rising up and getting fourth, even though we do have a Newcastle that's doing that right now. You don't necessarily see a bunch of those. It's like usually like one team a yeah. season. I think just the quality from like 10th to 20th is a lot better. Totally. Um, and so that makes it a lot more fun as well. Yeah. And I think the big, for me, the big kind of 
in addition to the high intensity pressing and kind of paired with the high intensity pressing, the big kind of tactical thing that is really um, kind of pleasing to me is the playing out from the back aspect because just like to me there's a world of difference in watching a game where teams are playing it out from the back they're trying to link passes together to play out of a press in order to progress up the field versus a team that is just kind of booting it up the field and then you have the ball ping-ponging for like 45 seconds until it finally settles and then play starts from there you know there's like a total like to me it's just like night and day how much more interesting the one is to watch than the other yeah that um that's a really good point because now that now that i'm thinking about that um there it, it is much more pleasing to the eye um when a team is playing out of the back and they're trying and they've got a press you know that's coming at them and there's this moment like when it does happen when it comes off and they're able to play out there's like a moment and it's usually like right before it's like, it's like right before they get to the midfield line. It's like on that, on the circle, on the edge of the circle right there. There's yeah. usually, there's like a lot of times a moment where a player slips past someone, makes yeah. a turn, makes a clever pass. And all of a sudden there's the break is on and you're like, wow, all of that was worth it. And it, yeah. it was, it was, um, yeah, they like they played their way out of it, and that, and I I think if especially if you have played before, there's some sort of gratification to that um, of you know you're passing around and then all of a sudden um, you make a you make a cut or you make a turn and the entire field is open up in yeah. front of you. Yeah, and I I can't like it's one of the more fun things to see, and maybe it's because I don't see it enough from Everton, but when I do see it, I love it. Um, when, when you have like a midfield player that care that can carry the ball after breaking the press, advance up the field and get it into the final third. And then yeah. all of a sudden you've got a very dynamic opportunity t- for something to happen. It's yeah. That's a great point. I, yeah, it's, it is, is so much better than Burnley hoofing it up and hoping Chris Wood can get a, get a, yeah. get ahead on it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's just a more interesting tactical landscape when instead of just trying to keep the ball as far away from your goal as possible all the time, <laughs> yeah. you are sometimes you're sometimes for, for tactical reasons, inviting pressure yeah. so that you can play around that pressure. It's just like so much more interesting. I love it. Totally. I love totally. it. Totally. Yeah. Wow. What a great start to this episode. We are flying right now. <laughs> we are flying. Um, wow. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Yeah, what's 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 the next thing you want to bring up? We can um, go anywhere. We can go anywhere. We can go we can go with the thread. We can go with something off the thread. I I want you to take the take take the uh take the charge next. Okay. You pick. Uh I want to talk about managers a little bit. Okay. Uh I think it's interesting to me how much, and maybe it's just because I'm paying more attention to the Premier League than I ever have, I think, this year. Um, but it's it's just startling to me. Two things about managers. One, which is how much the right managerial hire can make or break a team. That seems to me to be very evident this year. And also how 
much if a team will just give a manager some freaking time with the players, how they can do amazing things. In the case, like the the great example of that is Mikel Arteta, right? Like there are probably yeah. five or six times where under normal kind of managerial logics, he should have been fired from Arsenal over the past yeah. two years. But totally. he hasn't. And as a result, we have a team that we value and we kind of applaud for all these things, like their togetherness, their ability to kind of like act as a unit, all these different things. And all those things are only possible by Arteta being there for so long, I think. So yeah, just like managers, like the power that they wield and also the power that they can wield if they are given time is like very interesting to me and has been noticeable to me about this season. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And um, I know in, in, in our notes that you've mentioned a few other managers in addition to Arteta but uh before we move on to Arteta yeah I I I just want to echo that like it did feel for a handful of times that he was under pressure um and they decided to just continue on and I think I think part of that is because maybe for Arsenal specifically they didn't necessarily have like a disastrous possible outcome. Like they couldn't have gotten relegated. There's no way they were going to get relegated. Yeah. That's whereas, whereas like some of these, so I think they were, they could afford to give him more time granted. Um, after coming out of, uh, the Wenger area era, um, they did go through. How many did they go through? Just, just, just one, just a couple. I, I think just a couple. Maybe, I know maybe Unai one. Emery was there. Was it just? It wasn't just Emery. There was someone before Emery. I think I there was someone before Emery as well. I can't remember. I can't who remember it who it is. But um, so it's not like they were just gonna just pick one and just let it go. They were still trying to maintain some sort of quality. But they also, I'm just thinking compared to like some of the other te- lower league teams that kind of rotate, you know, that get rid early. Um, like Watford is the prime example, um, you know, they have to do it because there's something very much on the line. Um, yeah. So I think they have been able to get, give Arteta the time. And I hope that this example kind of illuminates some other clubs as to like what they need to do moving forward with managerial yeah. um, appointments and to give them enough time. Um, and I think that has to be one of the hardest things is to know when you've made the right person, uh, made the right appointment, and you just need to give them time versus, oh, no, this is not the style of play we want. This is not the kind of not the kind of manager we want either. Yeah. Um, so you kind of I, I feel like um, some of the some of the other managers you've mentioned are still kind of early enough. Um, so you've got like Ten Hag, Eddie Howe, and um, Vieira at Palace. All of those are still like early on, and I think they're probably all still assessing whether or not it is the appropriate manager versus how much time do we give them. Um, yeah. So like Ten Hag, especially since he's so early, they're going to United is really going to be thinking about that. Um, but yeah, I, but I I don't know. What do you? I, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but 
um, where do you, where do we want to go as far as, well, I want to ask you a question. Assessing those, those managers. Yeah. I want to ask you a question, which is not just from these ones that we've talked about, but just in general, which manager are you most excited about in the league right now? Hmm. Well, this is kind of recency bias, but I am kind of excited to see what Emery does at Aston Villa. Hmm. Um, not necessarily because I know a lot about him or because I think what he does is spectacular. It's not like a Bielsa character where you like, he's got a reputation necessarily. Um, but I, I think that it kind of feels like Aston Villa may be punched a little bit above their weight to get him. Yeah. So I think I'm so. interested. To, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, now, had you asked me this like two months ago, I would have said Potter. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'm kind of like, this is a transition season. I don't really care what happens. I want to see what he does next season after he gets some transfers through the door. Yeah. Um, but that's probably that's probably who I'm most excited about at the moment. Um, that's not to say who that's not necessarily to like I've got other ones in mind as far as who I think have done very well right their clubs um but as far as like anticipation and kind of who i think may make a big um impact yeah i definitely want to see what he does at aston villa yeah that's a good point and yeah i i think that i mean obviously aston villa have been underperforming for the quality of player that they have and i think he's a good he seems like a good fit at least obviously extremely initial reactions but like he seems like a better fit to get something consistently out of those players than Jared ever was. Um, mm. So, yeah, he's and he's been around a little bit longer too. You know, he's 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 managed at several different clubs. You know, Gerard was still relatively early on um, in his managerial career, so I think Emery probably has maybe a few more tricks up his sleeve, or at least kind of knows how to quickly put things together. Yeah. And then kind of build from there. Whereas Gerard was probably like, I don't know, maybe he struggled to do that. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, going back to some of the ones that you mentioned being maybe right fits like Ten Hog and Howe and Vieira. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on those three? Do you think those are very good fits for the, those clubs? I do. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'm in love with Patrick Vieira's palace. I think I love <laughs> yeah. that team so much. No, Okay. Before we move on though, because I do think he's done a good job, but I wonder how much of it is um, not having Roy Hodgson anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could totally be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you, I didn't know this story about Roy Hodgson, but did you know that last year when he was, um managing do you remember when Watford brought him in at the very end yeah you know what I'm about to say no oh. I don't when I just Watford, think that that's funny when Watford brought him in at the very end uh their last game when they got relegated was against Crystal Palace and he had been fired from Crystal Palace earlier in the year and at the end of the game this is the last game of the season and they like Watford has been relegated uh Roy Hodgson goes over to the Crystal Palace fans and like goes and like 
applauds them because he hadn't <laughs> had a chance to like do that before he was fired. Didn't do a thing for the Watford fans and then, and then left. Pretty amazing. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So I think there's some of that, but I think it's also like, um, that's clearly a team that needed to be like to be let play, you know. And he seems yeah. to be willing to let them play, you know. Zaha's kind of playing a f- a forward role now, which is really fun. Um, yeah. At least this most recent time, he was kind of like the forward for the team. Um, so I think he's doing great. I think, I mean, Howe is proving himself, obviously, to be the right choice. Yeah. That's indisputable. Yeah. Whether or not he's the right choice, if their aspirations are to be a Man City-like team, I don't know. But clearly, for the moment, he's been the correct choice in terms yeah. of uh, getting the most out of the players they already had while also being able to integrate the the like higher quality new players that they're bringing in. Just like what... Uh, like. I think Joe Linton alone is like proof of how good a coach Eddie Howe is. Like, yeah, it's just an absolutely completely different player. Cause you, you will remember when he came in, he was kind of a joke because of how he was playing. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's just amazing. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was very wild for a whole season. I think just nothing like, and then I guess maybe halfway through the next season is maybe when Eddie Howe came in. I can't remember exactly how like what the timeline is, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a very good, I don't know. I think, I think maybe seeing Eddie Howe do this with Newcastle and the resources they have, they obviously have been able to invest. And so they have some quality players, but seeing him um, do what he's doing with this club makes me realize maybe how much I underrated him as a manager when he was at Bournemouth. Yeah. Because now, granted, um, they did have one season where they were very good, similar to kind of kind of similar to this, where because I think Callum Wilson was there at mm. Bournemouth, right? Um, Ryan Fraser was also there, and yeah. both of them were just on fire. Yeah. Um, that season in particular, I think people started to wake up like, oh, wow, like Eddie Howe, he's a young manager. He's got like, he's got an attacking mindset. I think that maybe he just did not have the quality of players at Bournemouth to really do what he needed to do. Um, And I think it's nice to see him step into a role where he has a little bit more quality so that he can impose his style and it work. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just, I mean... I'm just blown away that they're they're doing as well as they are. I mean, is it is it eventually going to taper out and come a little bit more down to earth? I don't know. Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't see how they, uh, barring like three three major injuries, I don't three or four major injuries. I don't see how. I don't see them stopping anytime soon or slowing down. Like they're just they're just very good. Um, yeah. Kind of like classic, like best of the rest type of type of uh, vibe right here. Yeah. And it is and it is like an interesting thing, right? Newcastle in particular, because. Um, yeah, I think you've noted in, in the thread their kind of consistency, which I think has been the, the surprising thing, because I think. Yeah, we would all expect them to have like the good game here or there, but it's the fact they're doing it week in and week out that's surprising, I think. Um, 
but it is interesting and it's kind of an ambivalence in that team or my feeling for that team which is that you know i think it's a good thing that there's another team that seems poised to break into that top four and that in addition to manchester city liverpool chelsea tottenham arsenal we will have like and and manchester united i suppose um there will like newcastle seems like pretty set to be there for the foreseeable future you know the fact that that comes about through a team like being bought by a a state and basically having money poured into it or presuming that that's what will happen um yeah is is kind of a weird thing but just on a pure sporting level having another team up there in the mix at the top end of things will i think only make seasons more interesting from a yes. kind of like who will win the title standpoint totally um yeah and i and i do wonder whether or not like what as a just a premier league fan what would i rather have would i yeah. rather have a newcastle that you've got the you got the big six the top six and then you've got newcastle and all seven of those are consistently fighting and so over the next several years newcastle starts to make it a big seven or would i rather have the big six traditional big six plus like a, a rotating seventh where it's like Newcastle is fine, which is what has happened. It's been, it was Leicester for a few years and it was West Ham for a couple years. Now it's Newcastle. Like, do I want it to like continue like fluctuating like that? And yeah. part of me, part of me thinks that um, I would, I think I would rather just maybe have that seventh one up there because I kind of get tired of the big six mentality. And so yeah. um, I think it would be great to have for several seasons, uh, uh, Newcastle consistently disrupting that top six. Um, yeah, I think I think that would definitely make it more fun, and it would maybe um, give some hope to some other clubs that hey, this is possible. Um, yeah, I think I think that would just be good for the league if if there was one that was able to consistently do it for several years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, and that, like, you know, the four Champions League spots, it's not just, like, five teams fighting for four spots. It's, like, six teams fighting right. for four spots. That's yeah. much more interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah. Are there other teams that – I see some other notes in the thread about specific teams. Are there other teams you want to bring up? Yeah. Um, well, uh, going – sticking on, like, the attacking route, I wanted to mention Brighton real quick. Hmm. Um I think now is a good time to kind of assess them after Deserbi has come in and um, we've kind of seen how that's shaken out. I just wanted to mention um, similar to Newcastle, because just going back to Newcastle real quick, their attack is so consistent, um, yeah. you know, and uh, especially given the players that they have who we thought were mostly inconsistent with St. Maximin and uh, Callum Wilson and, Almiron, all three have been very inconsistent over the years. So to watch them be consistent is impressive. On the same token, um, the Zerbi comes in, and I think Brighton, since he's come in, have also been very consistent in their attack. Um, and one thing I wanted to touch on was specifically was like, they're just shooting a ton. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently this week i think and it was like they mentioned a stat like over the over the most 
the most recent like six or seven games, right? Um, yeah. Since Deserbi has come in, um, over those six or seven games, Brighton has had double-digit shots every single game except one, and that was Manchester City, and they had nine. Hmm. After that, the other you know five or six games that weren't Manchester City, they had double-digit shots and each game. And I think the lowest one was like 14. It was mm-hmm. like between 14 and 19 every game. And um, I think that's a testament to Deserby one and two um, having a player like Trossard, who's kind of kind of broken out a little bit and they've got some, maybe some other players that have really stepped it up. Um, but yeah, I just think that they're, I think that they're, they're one to buy into. And I think, that I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised. Um, I thought they would kind of drop um, drop in quality after Potter left, um, but obviously they um, they're keeping it up as, at least um, from an attacking standpoint, just being very aggressive and just shooting a lot. Yeah, which is interesting too because one of the critiques of Potter's Brighton team was that they were really good until they got in front of goal. Right? It's like they just didn't score that many goals. Um, yeah, they were, they were very win. possession heavy. Yeah. They'd win a lot of games, one nothing. They'd tie a lot of games. Um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that playing out with Chelsea right now, too, is like kind of, although mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's all attributable to Potter because they've had trouble in front of goal for years now. But um, yeah. But I, it is interesting that like clearly that seems like something Deserby has seen in that team and wants to like remedy in a very real way as like, will just like take shots and they're scoring a lot of goals. Like they're winning. Let's see. What are their most recent score lines? We've got uh three, two against wolves, the four, one against Chelsea. Um, those are the two most recent ones. So it's very interesting. Very it's yeah. in a way it's similar to Potter because it is kind of like, you know, it still has a little bit of this high press. Like Potter was, was not, a like total kind of gig and pressing guy, but he did have some high pressing going on. Whereas this is like a like extreme version of that. It seems like, um, yeah, I'm a little bit worried that it becomes like a Marcelo Bielsa situation, <laughs> yeah. you know, where like people Could like be. figure out how to play him and he, it, his position becomes untenable. But I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that it's a little bit more sustainable than that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, but I think for now, for the foreseeable future, that that you know we know what to expect from them. That's what they're going to be doing. So yeah. until they figure it out, uh, I think Deserby is just going to press press on, and they're just going to keep getting shots, and they're going to keep scoring goals. Yeah. Um, can I say something about Tottenham? Yeah. Uh, we I... got a lot of Tottenham listeners, so be careful. Tottenham listeners, perk up your ears. Um, I think, and this will, I think, um, maybe mollify the Tottenham Tottenham listeners a little bit. I think that Conte doesn't get enough credit for what he gets out of that team on a weekly basis. I think every time I look at that team, it feels like even though they've spent a lot of money, you know, obviously not as much as other teams in the top four, but they've spent a lot of money. It's like very different than watching Arsenal, where you know every t- every 
person feels like fitted for the role that they're in. It feels like, you know, they've been recruited to play a particular position. They're playing a particular position and they're playing it really well. And it's like a well-oiled machine. Tottenham feels just like a real free-for-all with like just parts going everywhere. A lot of injuries, obviously, but also just like detritus from different managers and like kind of misfitting players. And the fact that they're even with that kind of happening, I guess if you're just your detritus is like high quality enough, then you can still win games. But like the fact that Conte is able to kind of make that into any kind of viable team that is in the top four places and that might make the Champions League this year is kind of impressive to me. Um, and, you know, you can say what you want about like his brand of playing tactics not being that exciting. But I do think from a like purely results standpoint, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, and they've definitely felt that way for a while where they don't really, other than like the Sun Kane partnership, you don't really know exactly, or at least you can put an 11 out there, but you're not like confident like, oh, this is 100% the best 11 or these are definitely the right people for these positions. Yeah. I mean... Like, for instance, Tottenham has four elite players right now. And they are Harry Kane, Hyunmin Song, Richarlison, and Dejan Kulusevsky. Right now, three of those players are injured. And so he's playing Kane up top with Perisic. It's like, what the heck yeah. is this guy supposed to do? It's like, everyone, yeah, yeah, else, yeah. everyone else is like, totally would totally fit in on like, Aston Villa or you know wherever other team they happen to rock up on I don't know kind of wild yeah um trying to think of I mean what about uh Hoiberg I mean I think he's I he might be up there as like yeah the next the next one I he may not be up there in qual I don't know I feel like whenever I watch Spurs I'm usually impressed by him yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's maybe so. He may not be up there with like with Kane and Son and Kulisevsky and Richarlison. Although I think maybe you could argue that Richarlison is not hasn't quite lived up to the to what I think maybe Spurs fans wanted out of him. Um that's I think it's still I think it's still early on, but um I think I would probably put Kane, Son and Kulisevsky as like the best three and then Richarlison and Hoiberg maybe yeah on the same ladder I don't and know then, and Larice in there somewhere too obviously yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but but other than that like you don't ha- like and even with that being said yeah you've got like some those are the quality players everyone else is kind of like hit or miss right yeah for the most part um and even with but even then you say okay these are my quality consistent players let me just play them all yeah you don't know how to fit them in yeah because you've got four that are attacking players <laughs> like how do you how do you do that i mean i guess you play maybe you could play a front three with kane son richarlison and kulisevsky behind as a 10 or something like i, I mean you can't really do, i don't really know what to do so like I, I see your point like and especially with the way conte plays you don't necessarily think that he's going to play all four of them anyway. So you're already going to play with like max, like three of them. Um, and then everyone else is just kind of like putting pieces together and hoping that it works out. I think, I think the biggest 
the biggest thing is, and I think some of the some of our listeners, um, some of the uh, some of the people in Discord. Anytime I'm watching Spurs, some of the listeners are, have been in touch. Yeah, they're just shouting out how bad the defense is, and yeah. I think that is like the obvious like weak point. Like you've got an attack that's quality that can score on their day, um, and you've got a, a defensive midfielder in Horberg that can like kind of shore things up and then get things moving forward. Right. And even him, even he has been able to like chip in in the attack. And then you've got like a back five that you, I don't know what's going on back there. Yeah. Like I don't think Eric Dyer is very good. Ryan Sessegnon is very young and I don't think he's worked out. Um, Perisic is obviously kind of like, the one that they bought to be the experienced head that is good, but is obviously on the decline. Yeah. Um, ben Davies. Emerson, ben Davis. He's just, I feel like he was good several years ago, like when Deli Alley was good. Um, so like he's, he's fallen off and uh, Emerson Royale. I don't know. I don't really, <laughs> I guess he really rates Emerson Royale. I don't, I don't know that I think that he's bad, but I don't know that he's like amazing. Yeah. And I don't know why I don't know why Doherty's not starting every and the, game. It's interesting like, too because the if you listen to people talk, not like our listeners, but like if you listen to like, I don't know, an athletic podcast about Tottenham or whatever, they'll sometimes say like or make the the case that like Romero, Sergio Romero is like the Oh, is, is like or Chris is it Christian Romero? Sergio Romero? I can't Christian, remember. Christian Romero, yeah. Uh, he's like Christian. he's that he's like the the like linchpin, but even he is like he's he, he's, like, he's like a mid table quality player, I would say. And and he's a red card shout every game. Yeah. So yeah, I I think yeah, and Romero is kind of wild. Yeah, I think. <laughs> it's, oh, Spurs! They're always going to be Spursing. It it's up. so funny. Yeah. It's just so wild to me that team that and I, I yeah it just feels like Conte is dragging them yeah into the position that they're in and that if there was a different manager there they might just like completely fall apart. And I think it's um less so I don't know maybe maybe their quality of play is better with him but I think the improvement is more so just in the points that they're getting. Yeah, exactly. I think they're just winning and drawing games, not necessarily like playing better football. Yeah, that's. That I think that's, that's that's my assumption. You, I could be wrong. I think that's right. I think that's what you what you pay for with Conte. You pay for <laughs> results. You don't pay for like. I'd mistakes. I'd pay him. I'd I'd bring him into Everton. Let's let's do this. Really? Would you? Okay, so like say that. No, I want. No, no, I want to be fair. I want Frank Lampard to be there for the entire season. No, no, pretty no, much, no matter what. This is a this is a thought experiment, though. So like say oh, okay, okay, okay. say Conte could guarantee you at the end of the season you're in eighth place. You make you make the Europa League, but all Conference of your, league. what Conference League? Sorry, probably the is Europa that, Conference that, League, probably. I'm assuming eighth would probably end up being the conference league. Well, no, let's say let's say he can get you into Europa League. Okay. The like Europa Europa League. Um but all of your games are just abysmal counterattacking, kind of not that much fun to watch. Would you take it? One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Interesting. Uh, totally. Totally. Huh. Um 
Yeah, but that's that's probably from a point of desperation at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I'd definitely take it. I honestly, I think any team outside the top six in Newcastle would take that hmm. in a heartbeat. I think yeah. they would all take. I it. guess I guess you're right, but I think the the the. But I I know where you're going. With the whole question is like, yes, I don't I don't want to play. Now, if you told me Mourinho. Jose Mourinho would do it. I would say absolutely not. I don't want any. They're, they're like almost the same. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They are almost the same as far as style of play, maybe. But Mourinho is toxic in the <laughs> locker. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is true. He destroy. He he's he rots clubs from the inside out. Like, it it's not good. Yeah, you're. And that's you're right. that's the reason I wouldn't want. Um. Just because he's miserable. Um, anyway, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably take Conte. Absolutely, yeah. For yeah. for secured Europa spots, yeah, totally. Um, it's like it's like um, it, I, I'm trying. I'm reaching for a metaphor right now. It's like so. Say you're say you're going to like play. Uh, I don't know. You're going to like work out or something. It's the difference between like getting energy. Like, uh, no, this metaphor is going poorly. I'm not even going to finish it. But anyway, yeah. No, I, th- I think I think you're right that, like, even though the, like, the style of play visually doesn't necessarily always register as all that different, there's something very different. Like, because clearly Conte is doing a lot of things that Mourinho was never doing, like getting the players to run a lot and making them very fit and things like that yeah. are important. Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely some... Even just, I think there's more positivity. Conte is more positive than Mourinho is. Yeah, not just true. not not really even style of play, just his personality. He's like a little bit more positive and energetic and happy and like wanting to wanting to really get him going. Whereas Mourinho just kind of like, I don't know, feels like he sulks a lot. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I did not think we'd be talking about Jose Mourinho today. <laughs> he truly is the special one, huh? Yep. All right. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about as far as Conte goes, or uh, no. where do we pivot from here? Do you want to talk Obviously, about Obviously, uh, yeah. I mean, going from I feel like we've talked a lot about consistent teams. Yeah. The exact opposite. Uh, Liverpool are incredibly inconsistent this year compared to where maybe they have been the last several years. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have anything else to say other than they're just I think at this point we can comfortably say that we don't know exactly what we're gonna get with them. And I I I think I don't I don't really even know like what it comes down to. And I think that's the issue. Um it would be one thing if they were inconsistent and we knew their 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 starting defenders were hurt. Yeah, and then it's like okay, well, we can predict that when they get back, they'll be better. But at this point, you can't really predict what they're going to be like. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, they could have, they could have a great game, they can win nine nothing, and then they could have a stinker and lose to Forest, and then yeah. also lose to Leeds. Like, I don't know what's going on with them. They are just. I can't wrap my head around what's happening. Like I'm kind of uh, another thing that I'm really surprised at this season is just how much they've just tanked. It's yeah, it's really weird. Um, 
yeah, it, it really felt like they were going to kind of springboard and transition into like a different, they were going to transition into a, maybe a different kind of team with like Darwin. Um, now they've got like some like wingers like Diaz and Jota and some like other players that will make their attack a little bit different, but like their defense is the same. Their mid their midfield maybe is a little bit different with like who they're having to play because of maybe injuries or who's like not in form or who's not fit, whatever. Um, but even then, you don't like that. That's a pretty steep drop off in quality from what we're used to. So I I mean, like if I had to tell if I had to ask you like where do you think they're they're gonna end up, like where do you think they're gonna be placed at the end of the at the end mm-hmm. of the season i I, honestly it could be for me it could be anywhere from fourth to eighth and i wouldn't be shocked really i think i think i think eighth maybe i think too much of a stretch you think they could get third yeah i don't know about that i mean i I guess it's always possible yeah but i i think fourth is maybe i think i think maybe they end up fourth um that's like the highest they get I don't know. I I just think think, you're right. I could totally see them being outside of the top four, which would be interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, I think maybe that's kind of, maybe that's where like the reason that's the reasonable answer is like, I can comfortably see them outside the top four. And that in itself is kind of like, Oh, wow. That's kind of a, yeah. Something happened there. And there's nothing that's been drastic to me in my mind that that would have caused it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. Because well, okay, so how – if things continue in this exact same way, do you think Klopp will see out the whole season? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you'll see out the season. Now, with the news about them being up for sale, which uh, if you didn't watch that TIFO video, you should go back and watch it because the one interesting thing that I saw was um, – and this is kind of related to Klopp – is – was it last season that the owners FSG, like one of the owners of FSG is like, like pretty good, like buddies with Klopp, like they get along very well. And uh, Klopp signed a new contract to like 26 or something in, yeah. instead of taking a hiatus after, after 2024 or something, whatever his plan was. Um, and they convinced him to like last season, convinced him to sign a new contract. And now they're, now they're selling the club. So like, I don't usually sympathize with like Liverpool just because of where I sit, but that sucks for Klopp. Like, <laughs> like he got screwed over there. So I'm wondering, I don't know. I kind of think maybe, maybe he wants out if, if FSG is gone, I think maybe this might signal, especially if a new ownership group buys them uh, at some point this season, they may want something. I mean, I can't see them not wanting Klopp in charge, but you never know that you yeah. may see like you may see a turnover over the summer, which would be wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm honestly just like the kind of for the novelty, I would be very interested to see another coach in charge of Newcastle to see what they would do with that team. You mean Liverpool? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Liverpool. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think if, if you were to like, if it were any other coach than Klopp and you were looking at this team and saying exactly what you were just saying, which is like, 
there's something wrong with him, but we can't identify it. The answer would be the coaching, right? Like that in yeah, any yeah, other, yeah. in any other Normally situation, that that would be the answer. But because Klopp has all this credit in the bank, we don't kind of assume that about them. There's but no I way did, it's Klopp, right? Do you think it might be? I don't think it's like something he's doing, but I do think that that's the mm. that's like the way that teams kind of process yeah. these, these kinds of like un- indefinable oh, wow. issues is as like oh it must be the manager we need a new manager and so i do wonder you know how long it'll take for klopp if he does want to stay and they continue in this way for him to kind of burn through all that capital that he's managed to accumulate there metaphorical capital until he's just a manager in charge of a team who he can't get the best out of and then he gets fired you know what i mean yeah that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. That is kind of the general trajectory of these things. Um, yeah, that get that that makes me think that there is a, a a larger possibility of him being gone at some point this season than maybe I previously thought. But yeah, it, it kind of depends on what the ownership group that comes in and buys them what they end up deciding. Because I think I think Klopp stays like. FSG isn't going to do anything like they're not going to sack Klopp because they're selling the club. Like they're not going to do anything at the moment. So I think it would have to be a new ownership group comes in. And then I think that kind of gets ironed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I hadn't thought about that before. Cause like you, yeah, you really don't think like, Oh, it must be Klopp. Like that's not the first thing you think about. If this was any other club outside the top six, you think, Oh yeah, it's time for the manager to, either turn things around or they're out. Like, yeah. I mean, if you think about some of the other, like Ralph Hassenhudel was like starting to become under pressure and he got sacked immediately. Yeah. Like, I feel like Klopp, like same situation. If that was like Southampton and Hassenhudel at the moment, like gone, like Klopp would have been gone already, you know? Yeah. Like kind of same timeline of inconsistency. I, I do wonder though, too, like, I don't, if they were to fire Klopp today, I don't know where they go for a manager. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't really I know w- who you get. I, I mean, they, they are kind of like in the sort of Brighton camp of, you know, just kind of deep data analytics and stuff like that. So I assume they probably have someone and that it's probably, I would assume that's probably someone I don't know very well, um, you know, from kind of like, you know, they're divisi or from something like that. But um it is interesting to like because there's not an obvious replacement out there. Um, especially now that Grand Potter's at Chelsea. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting indeed. Um hmm. anything else about Liverpool or or that well, whole think, thing? I think this kind of brings me to a point that's kind of like a and this is i think the last point that i have which is kind of a minor uh mini dress to the false nines moment oh hold on hold on well we wanted to before we get there because i do want it i want to end with that one okay Uh, okay i want to end with that we got to end with dress to the false nines (laughs) fair enough uh the only other thing that i see that we've listed in our notes is crystal palace and brentford oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you want to did you want to talk about them a little bit yeah um because they're obviously you know relatively comfortably mid-table you don't really 
unless something drastic happens, you don't necessarily see them being in a relegation scrap and you don't really necessarily see them progressing to like challenge for Europe or anything like that. So they're just like, they're both like solid mid table clubs that are decently fun to watch and have some, some quality players that are also fun to watch. And and they both seem very well run such that you have a hard time imagining that they would like, have a kind of fall from grace that would see them get relegated in the next few years. So I just, I think it's just interesting that like they've kind of joined the ranks of like the firmly mid table clubs, like the, the, the teams that I would like associate with that kind of mid tableness are like Everton are uh, Aston Villa, like um, Lester to a certain West Ham, West Ham. Yeah. They're kind of like in that same echelon of like, as you say, not, really seeming in danger of uh getting relegated and maybe on a good year getting into i mean i would love to see crystal palace in a europa conference league or europa league spot that would yeah. be amazing. yeah yeah, yeah. oh i, I think would that would be too. so be exciting oh um, yeah totally yeah and they, that seems totally possible both for them and for brentford i think especially over the next couple of years so that's exciting yeah definitely um Speaking to like them being well run, I mean, we kind of already talked about Palace, um, but just to kind of hammer that home, like they're, yeah, I think that they're poised to become a solid mid table team because when Hodgson, Hodgson was around, they were playing pretty boring football. They were able to stay up, but there was always a chance that they might go down the next season. But now that Vieira has come in, um, they've, you know, br- obviously brought in Eze, um, and Olise and Edward and some of these other like players that can, um, that can, you know, play well in the attack and are a little bit more fluent and smooth. And, um, it's not just like clunky football, um, that way they can come in and help support Zaha. Yeah. I mean, they're just, just a solid team and, and, you know, it, it didn't take much, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, they're just like a solid, a solid team. I, I don't, I can't really, I don't really know much about like their organization or like their director of football. They're like that kind of from that side of things. And we'll move on to Brentford, who I think like really, sh- that's where they strive actually. Yeah. Um, whereas Palace, I think they just have like a solid game plan. They've got the some like good quality fun players. Um, and they're just like, they're just good. Like they're just a good side. Yeah. They're not, they don't, you don't look at them and think that they're going to ship like four goals. And, and they're not, you don't, oh, sorry, you know, no, I was going to say, and you bank on them to score at least one every game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what's interesting to me about them is like, so one of the distinctions because even though they're kind of in similar places, Brentford and Crystal Palace, they're like yeah. very different teams, as you kind of mentioned. Like Brentford is kind of in the like Brighton, data driven, like um very well run from a kind of like uh foot like um director of football, like technical director, like all these kinds of things are very much in place. Um and they're like a machine. I don't get the yeah. sense that Crystal Palace is like that. I, and as a result, they're probably not, their ceiling is probably lower. It's more just like a more traditional, like they have 
I, I think Steve Parrish is their owner who's like very sensible and like willing to spend some money, but not like too much money. And he's just like, they're just like a sensible team. And so there's like an interesting distinction there between like a, an overperforming analytics based team and just like a sensible mid table premier league team. You know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. See, I actually think that they're, and this isn't a judgment on the two styles of like the, the two like, dichotomies not necessarily dichotomies but the two like different things that we've just compared um it's not a judgment on which one is better than the other but i actually think crystal palace maybe has the higher seed just because with with what when i think of brentford i think of and this goes into that machine and then being a business and a club that um is is um is buying players young and cheap and selling them for a good amount. Um, And so in that mindset, I think, oh, well, they're never going to have the like very good players for very long because they're looking to make a profit on them. So how can they actually, because with Palace, they've had Zaha for years. Um, And I would expect them to try to hold on to Eze for as long as they can. and you know, obviously, if if he breaks out so much that a top six team wants him and will pay it a pretty penny, then they're going to sell him. But they're not necessarily looking to make the profit immediately. Whereas I think Brentford are kind of thinking of players more as investments, and they're kind of doing a thing where they want to raise the quality of football, but also make a profit at the same time. And so yeah. I think maybe. In the short term, I personally think that Palace maybe has in the next like let's say two or three seasons, I think they have the higher ceiling. Whereas Brentford, I think, will probably sell Tony or will sell some like other players that will make them a better like financial uh driven club or like just a better organization where they can like then invest that money into like two or three other players that they can then um, develop. Yeah. And so I think in that way, maybe I think actually palace might have the better shot of let's say finishing in Europe or in the top eight. Um, And I think maybe Brentford does. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Especially in the short term, as you say, I guess what I'm trying to think through is like, you know, I could see Brentford, the way I see Brentford's trajectory is like they become a like Brighton level team, mm. right? Where like yeah, like in three or four years, yeah, they're doing what Brighton is doing now. Because basically, they're like a mini version of Brighton, where Brighton does the same thing. They you know they have they get your like Eve Basumo or they get your Mark Kukurea, and they like grow these players and then sell them for huge profits to other bigger clubs. And that's how they sustain themselves financially. And they do it and they find more of them and they bring them through. And that's kind of like the model just on a larger scale, it seems like. And so I think that's kind of how I see Brentford ending up eventually. Whereas I think you're right. Like in the next two years, I wouldn't be surprised if Palace makes a Europa League spot. Um, But are they ever going to, you know, is that ever going to be more than like a very occasional thing for them? I'm not totally sure. Yeah, whereas Brentford, if if the trajectory continues, you can see them being a more consistent fighter for yes. those spots. 
yeah, yeah. I know. What you're, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do think that Brentford's probably their floor is lower than Palace's. Yeah. Now that we're talking about ceilings and floors, um, because you could easily see, yeah, their club as a whole is run well, but if that doesn't matter if the good players that you have get injured or if the system gets figured out by other clubs or whatever, yeah, then, then like, then you're like in 16th, 15th and you're wondering if you're going to get relegated. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I do think Brentford though, right now I are like solid mid table. I don't think that there's any reason that they should finish below like 11th or 12th. Right. I mean, I guess you could see them maybe getting like 13th, 14th if they kind of if they kind of beach it up towards the end of the season, they maybe drop points or something. But um, you don't really see them like kind of flopping. Um, And I think just I I don't know. I really like Thomas Frank. I think he's a very cool guy. (laughs) I I like Thomas Frank in everything except the fact that the man chews his gum with his mouth open so hard. I cannot (laughs) stand it. I don't know that I've noticed that, but now I will. You will. You will not be able to stop noticing it because it is absurd. He's on the (laughs) touchline all the time, just chomping away at gum, mouth fully open. Speaking of touchline antics, we mentioned this. I mentioned this in the Discord, but did you see? Did you ever go watch the Spurs game? And and did you see Conte run over to? um, Did they play Liverpool? Recent, most recently. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the Liverpool, um, it was like there was like a throw-in or something. I don't know who was about to have the throw-in, but like one of the Liverpool coaches, not even Klopp, just a random Liverpool coach, had a ball in their hands, and Conte ran from his box all the way over into Klopp's box where the where the coach was, and slapped the ball out of the person's hand. Um, just ridiculous like Amazing. i don't know what that was about and it's not even like it was at the end of the game where he was like trying to waste time or anything it was like the 60th minute or something like um so i don't really know what what that was about but uh, i just thought that was very funny you should try to find it also speaking of other sideline antics sorry to get on a rabbit trail no um i saw like a random you know how you just get like random like youtube video recommendations um so I, I, there's always like soccer recommendations for me. And for some reason, I think it was like a men in blazers, YouTube clip. Um, but it wasn't like of the, them like doing the podcast. It was like some, <laughs> it was, uh, it was just Jesse Marsh when he, I think when Leeds scored against Liverpool, maybe he did this like weird, like <laughs> he did this like weird celebration where he did like, like a normal fist, like pump in the air but before that he like wound it up it was hilarious (laughs) it was like he was like he was like they scored and so he was like celebrating he was walking like along the the fans and he was like winding it up underneath and then like and then like jabbed (laughs) upwards and like celebrated it was bizarre it's like a if you could if you could find that clip if i can find that clip i'll put it in the discord but it's like a super smash brothers move yeah it was (laughs) Like, I don't know what that was about. Oh, um, amazing. Uh, all right, do you anyway, want to talk about right. Dress to the False Nines? Dress to the False Nines, let's do it. We'll let's close do it out it. with this. This is what we'll close it out with, yeah. So this is my, I mean, obviously, 
there haven't been that many dressed to the false nines revelations this year. Um, but one of the big ones that has been noticeable to me, and I'm interested to know if you're seeing the same thing, is it feels like we're coming to the end of the tracksuit manager fashion cycle. Um, I feel like it's all, it was everywhere for the past two years that even towards the top end of the table, you had your Thomas Tuchel's um, and you had your Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's who were kind of, I guess Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a variable, but like uh, you had just like a lot of tracksuit managers. That was a thing that was like happening. And now, especially with the kinds of managers who have left the league recently and the kind of managers who have entered the league recently, it seems like that is going out of style very, very quickly. Um, yes. Are you, are you observing the same thing? And maybe one, one data point is your very own Frank Lampard, right? It's like, yes, a convert from the tracksuit manager to the, yes. the more like norm dad manager. I wonder, I wonder if it was a Chelsea thing. Uh, because oh, it was like it was Lampard and then it was Tuchel. I wonder if Potter is going to get on that train. Potter like seems to have gone. He seems to have gone in the other direction. I think he's yeah. He's, he's like glowing up as opposed to glowing down. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. It's not something that I like immediately noticed, but now that I think about it, I can't think of. Oh, like even um, throwback to uh, Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves, even yeah. like a few years ago. Um, I mean, that wasn't that long. That was like two years ago. Um, yeah, you really don't, I can't like think of a premier league manager. Now I don't know about across Europe or, or even more broadly, but just thinking of the premier league, I can't think of a manager that I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I just, I picture them in a tracksuit because that's what they normally wear. So who, uh, is there anyone? Here are the ones that, that here are the ones that I have listed for current tracksuit managers, and some of these are maybe like liminal cases, so you can help me decide. Liminal uh, spaces. Liminal spaces. Uh, Eddie Howe. <laughs> I think Eddie Howe qualifies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can see. Even though that. he's he's a very different, he's like a a kind of modified tracksuit manager in the sense that, or slightly enlightened tracksuit manager, maybe where he always does. <laughs> He always does the same like kind of hoodie and it's like a fleece kind of thing, but it's not like a tracksuit. Anyway, I think, I mean, Klopp is like kind of one of the archetypal tracksuit managers, Um, but he's also a little bit, he's a slight variable in that he's more like a, um, like a gift shop manager, you know, where it's like less that he's like wearing like what everyone's out on the training pitch in. And it's more just like he's Uh, what's available in the gift shop. Gift shop manager is perfect. Um, I love that term, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And then the other one, the other main one for me is uh, David Moyes at West Ham. Is like, oh yeah. Uh, but even just even those, so like Klopp, but not and always. David, yeah. Klopp and David Moyes, they're also like on the older side of things, right? It's not like the right. young people who are the tracksuit managers. It's like the more aging. So I don't know. It's right. just very interesting. I wonder if that was just kind of like, I mean, obviously most like fashion is like ten, tends to be tied to like certain times or whatever. So yeah. I'm wondering if it is just like the time that they like have been managing, managing, ma- managing. Um, and that's just kind of like what they're, they're used to. And now that we have some of these like new managers coming in, that's like not really a thing anymore. Um, personally, I will say that I'm, 
I think I'm happy about it. I'm happy that the tracksuit manager is kind of like, it's not the, it's not like a 50, 50 type of thing where half of the managers are wearing tracksuits or like kind of lounge wear in a way. And the other half are wearing formal wear. I kind of like, I kind of, I want to see, <laughs> and we can go a different route too, but I kind of want to see more of like the, I don't know. I want to see them like, maybe not necessarily like dress like in a suit all the time, but like, I want to see them, you know, not necessarily be one of the boys, you know? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think yeah. it's a little, kind of a little sloppy in a way. I, just personally, what I want to see is a little bit more thought. I want to see what kind of style they have. I think there's more variability. There's more like thing. There's more nuance. There's more things to dissect when you're looking at a Frank Lampard that is like actually wearing some um, like menswear as opposed to just some yeah, just a tracksuit. So I think it's more fun that they that there's less of that. Yeah, Do you agree? No, I I think I agree. Yeah, I think it definitely it's um it's seen its day. And one thing, so this is uh this is something that who was i so hard on about their their fashion choices at one time i called them a divorced dad do you remember this oh i remember was it, i was remember it lampard? Saying divorced dad or was it nuno it was one of either lampard it could have been nuno. lampard it was nuno i think was it yeah okay um <laughs> okay <laughs> because nuno nuno had a very particular style of tracksuit manager that i thought was really interesting but anyway so um i i i've thought in the past couple of years that like the kind of the way Frank Lampard, et cetera, dresses has been less interesting. And it's been, I thought that was like a choice that they were making. It's like, okay, you know, we're just going to dress in like dark blue and gray yeah. all the time. Yeah. But, and, and then I was in London this summer and I realized, Oh, that's just like how everyone dresses. People oh, are just, okay. people just dress really boring in the UK. Honestly, just going to say it. Oh wow. It's pretty boring. All of our UK listeners, watch out. Uh yeah, was not impressed. And so like I think that's maybe just like more of a cultural thing. It's like, you know, it's just the like yeah. With the the kind of like norm norm clothing. You think that has to do with like the weather with it being more gloomy and so they kind of match that with it being like darker navies and grays and just kind of like a little more boring and drab? Possibly. I've got no idea. But huh. Yeah. Interesting. I do think, and this is, so I've noted a couple of people who are coming into the league, right? Okay. Julian Lobbetegui, Unai Emery, Eric Ten Hag, and Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah. All of them are yeah. not tracksuit managers. They're very much like on the blazer side of things. Cool. Um, which is, it, it's just like a changing of the guard, I think. Did you see Ten Hag's, <laughs> I, I, I should have put this in Discord, but it, it was a game several games back. Um did you see Ten Hogg's um, turtleneck that zipped all the way up? No, I don't think so. It was very weird. It huh. was like it was a zip up turtleneck. It went all the zipper went all the way up. It was very I'd never seen anything like it before. Kind of weird. Um, speaking of that, how do you feel about because I feel like what I'm about to say doesn't fall into the tracksuit and it doesn't fall into like the kind of like formal business attire. Yeah. Um, Pep's letter, uh, letter jacket. What, what is happening? Uh, is that there for? Is that a brand or is that a P for Pep? 
Please tell me that's a piece of pep. <laughs> I don't. I haven't looked into. I think I haven't looked into like the brand of it. I've only seen glimpses. I don't think I've watched a full game where he's wearing it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a I don't know like Palm Angels or something like that. But I don't okay. think it's for Pep. Um, I see. But but the fun, but the but you see where I like you see where I could think that because most times like where they have like the when they are doing like a tracksuit type of thing wearing the like the uniform like there's usually their initials there. Oh, I love so, this like, reading. His P is right there where it would be. Oh, I love it. And it's kind of like a like a true religion type like embroider. I don't know. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It's uh I Listen, I mean, Evan, we could we could do a whole podcast on Pep's fashion choices because it say, has ranged a big. It, he has done a lot of different things. He I think, he is the most. Speaking of variability in the season, Pep is the most varied in his fashion. Well, because Pep Pep is truly avant garde, right? Like, this is my this is part of my <laughs> what uni- a quote. This is part of my unified theory of Pep Guardiola fashion, which is that, like. <laughs> This like other people want to present as intellectuals, right? Other coaches, part of the reason, and project a certain kind of authority, you know. And that's yeah. partially, I think, why they dress in a certain way. So, like your Lopetegis, your Unai Emerys, your Mikel Artetas, right? Like, there's a kind of intellectual air about them that yeah. is has partly to do with their fashion choices. <laughs> yeah, but and that is a res- that is like. Um, clothing sending a certain kind of message but the real kind of artist the true avant-garde provocateur doesn't think about clothes in that way but thinks about them in like in a wholly different kind of like almost unknowable way and this is kind of where pep is i think an unknowable Um, way it's it's not about sending oh my god i don't know i I, love it yeah i love this so I anyway, love I think I think that you is... could probably explain everyone else's. This is what I'm trying to say is like, and I haven't worked this out yet, but I think you can explain everyone else's fashion choices with reference to Pep Guardiola's fashion choice, if that makes sense. That's my that's the unified theory I'm working on. Y'all can't see this, but Taylor has an, a giant cork board and he's got pictures of all of these managers wearing different things. And in the middle is Pep Guardiola, and he's got red uh, string tied to everything, and he's like uh, tying everything together. Um, yes, exactly. I'm like that meme. Incredible. Of the I'm like that meme of the guy from the numbers, uh, the TV show Numbers, where he's just seeing he's seeing <laughs> algorithms and I equations. Yeah. Wow. Oh man, I don't know of any better way to finish this off. I think that was. I think you just like really capped it off there. Um, so I don't know that there's anything else that we want to say other than, um, we, you know, we will probably be doing something during the world cup. I don't know. Like, let us know what you want. Um, we might be doing, we would probably do one max, maybe two podcast episodes. I think just kind of putting us both on the spot at the moment, but like, I can't see us doing anything more than two. So, but probably maybe one, let us know what you want. I, we haven't really talked about it too, too much. Um, so just to let you know that we will be kind of uh, taking a little bit of a break, but you can expect at least some sort of World Cup content. So let us know what what you think would be the most fun or beneficial or whatever. Also, uh, this is, Evan, I haven't run this by you. 
but I think this is maybe worth saying and doing, um, is if any of you out there want to be on the World Cup podcast, just let us know. We'd be happy. Yeah, to, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, just let us know. Maybe Evan or I could take the day off and you just talk to one of us and one of you. How about we just let the kids run wild on the podcast? They I mean, just all get together and we take the day. We that take would be amazing. Off. Yeah, that would be amazing. We get a babysitter and yeah. Yeah. Um, Order some pizzas. We left you some cash. Exactly. Um, the driver, please. So just let us know and we can make that happen, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Evan, thanks wow. for having This is a great, this is so much fun for me. Yeah, this was great. This is probably one of my favorite podcasts of the season. And I was, uh, honestly, this is the one that I've been most excited about just because there's not really any pressure to like dissect anything as far as like from a fantasy perspective. And we can just kind of coast into the World Cup and not have to think about fantasy for a while. So um, it has been a pleasure um, yeah. talking to you, Taylor. And it was great to actually talk about some just kind of overarching themes, which is something I feel like me and you don't do enough of. And I really, uh, I really value your opinions on these things. Wow. Thanks, Evan. Same to you. All right, listeners, we will see you at some point soon. Bye. Bye.